1: Hey I'm Paul And I'm Rad and welcome to Game For Anything The podcast where we are disgustingly down for whatever comes around
0: this episode, we're looking at GPS on crack, crackhead cartoons, and meal kits that aren't all their crack. Uh, up to be. Or are they?
1: Mm, we certainly have opinions.
0: So, Rad, what have you been up to this week?
1: I went to a robot lab today. What? I went to the launch of a robot lab today. So there's a company called Advanced Navigations and they opened up a new manufacturing facility in Sydney based out of the UTS Tech Lab. Mm -hmm. So as the name suggests, Advanced Navigations makes advanced navigation tools. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But it's actually really cool. So they, for one thing, make alternatives to GPS, which I'd never thought about before. Like if, okay, no, wait. This is a test, Paul. If I was to say, what are you going to use for navigation if you don't have GPS?
0: Uh, I'd probably say, honestly, I would say, where is the sun in the sky? (laughs) Mm.
1: Did you know that you can use a digital gyroscope in order to apparently very accurately track movement
0: when you say a digital gyroscope i'm picturing a little time turner thing like interlocking cogs and gears or is that when i have to turn my phone in like a figure eight like an idiot in public is that what a gyroscope is
1: why do you, okay sorry i was about to say why do you not know what a gyroscope is but i believe that life is a learning experience i think okay. That it's okay when we don't know things so i apologize i backtrack on Hang that on. what is a gy-
0: you, okay, god just please See, I can cut this bit out if it's too embarrassing. What is a gyroscope?
1: <laughs> a gyroscope is like, imagine a ball that has yep. water in it and then like ah. a plate that sits on top. So when you rotate the ball, right, mm-hmm. the water automatically levels.
0: Uh, okay, so like those... Okay, a- that actually makes sense. Like a steady yep. cam, kind of, right?
1: Yes, yeah. So a gyroscope is... A se- look, actually... I'm going to look up the dictionary definition because I'm going off vibes here.
0: You, well, hang on. Do you know? Yeah. Are you sure?
1: I I know what the um I know what a gyroscope does. I have a visualization <laughs> of a gyroscope. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> a gyroscope is a device containing a rapidly spinning wheel or circulating beam of light yeah. that is used to detect the deviation of an object from its desired orientation. So I am correct. They can work in different ways. It's basically just something that that measures, like, orientation and angle.
0: Okay, but what you said was different. What you described was one of those weird little toys I had as a kid, like that eyeball with the fluid level in it so that the eyeball was always staring at you? Or is that just, that's very specific. Listen, you are trying to explain to me how a gyroscope, A, works, but B, how these guys at this lab effectively said that a gyroscope could help you figure out where you are in the
1: world? Yes. So it doesn't work completely by itself. You need to have a starting point of a GPS location. But apparently they've made these uh, digital fiber optic gyroscopes that are so carefully calibrated that they did a test with them where they had to hit waypoints, 20 waypoints, like in the desert that were Mm. 15 to 20 kilometers apart from each other. Using only this gyroscope And it was accurate. They were able to hit every single waypoint. They were the only ones that did the test that were able to do that, apparently.
0: What are the implications for this discovery?
1: Look, there's a lot of military implications. There we go. Um, yep, that's Yep, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> who else is wandering through the desert where there's no GPS?
0: That's true. But I love the fact that people were like, maybe, maybe now we've watched these Boston Dynamics dog robots get kicked over and they don't really have great orientation. And someone at you, at, at your university over in Sydney has gone, you know what? We need a foolproof way of having them take us all out. <laughs> did you see any actual robots or was it all theory?
1: I did see robots. I saw the actual gyroscopes as well. Uh, all right. They have ones that are small enough to like clip onto a person. They're basically the size of like half a mint packet. I can't think of, I can't think of like...
0: Were you looking around for small things and you saw a mint packet and went half of that? Or did that, well, was that a metaphor they used in the lab?
1: Okay. This was all me, but I was thinking tins. I was trying to think of matchbox. It's it's like smaller than a matchbox. Okay, great. So they've got ones that are personal, and then they've also got ones that you can use in space. But... The real robot that I saw Mm. was this thing called Hydrus, which is an autonomous underwater vehicle. And basically the idea behind it is that it's a drone for under the sea.
0: So many questions. How did they show you an under the sea drone? Did they have a sort of aquarium sitch or did they ask you to imagine water? Like how do they, how do they convey that?
1: Paul, they had a giant, okay, it wasn't giant. They had a sizable tank in the Mm. middle of a cage uh that had this drone bobbing in it it was very exciting
0: hang on bobbing like a dead fish or was it what did what did it do that was actually (laughs) impressive to you as someone and also can i just point out having it in a cage kind of gives the game away a little bit they are scared of this thing escaping right
1: I thought it was cool. It gave me like portal vibes, you know. It, cool. it felt okay. very tech lab. There's cages everywhere. There's perspex. There was a clean room that had like a sticky mat out the front of it, so that when you step on it, it cleans the bottom of your shoes off.
0: That's what that was. You you didn't tell me where you were. You just sent me a context free video of you going shup, shup, shup on this blue <laughs> mat. So that's what that was.
1: For some reason, I thought it was more self explanatory than that.
0: <laughs> no, no. To. No, I had no idea. In fact, I asked you a question about something else and you answered with that video. So I was very
1: confused. Well, it had the the name Clean Room in it before I panned down. So I feel like. That's true. I figured it out on the day. I feel like you're clever enough to as well.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: It's funny that you ask about it bobbing in the water, because this allows me to talk about the turbines, which I actually found very exciting.
0: Okay, and by turbines, you mean the little things that propel it around?
1: Yeah, like it's actual propellers. Gotcha. So it has four uh, kind of on the bottom, and then three around, like on a... If Okay, imagine the drone is a person that's standing upright... It has four like on its shoes. Oh
0: yeah, cool. Okay. That point
1: down. Like if you were to have a jetpack sort of thing, and then it has three that are like belt loops. This is to tell you the orientation and placement, sort of.
0: Are there any on the hands at all?
1: No, because it doesn't have hands. Okay, imagine a torso. Just a torso.
0: (laughs) (laughs) With fans all over it. Yes.
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs) But because they're making this thing to go like deep sea they've got one yeah. that can do up to 300 meters up to 1000 meters and up to 3000 meters wow yeah so these things can like deal with a lot of pressure they had to like redesign how the fans work so that for example they can't get tangled in seaweed mm-hmm. and that there's fewer water ingress kind of areas so it's like imagine a circle imagine a donut
0: <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> hang on hang on hang right. on Hang on. it's the <laughs>
1: <laughs> imagine so forget a d-
0: the <laughs> forget the torso. Imagine a donut.
1: No, we're just on the fans now. Oh, okay. In some ways, a donut is a circle, but it's whatever. Imagine a donut, and then inside the donut is yeah. the fan, the actual fan component.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, like one of those kind of um, rubber things you put around when you're like when you're swimming, right? Like a floaty kind of thing, right? But with a fan on the middle. Yes. Or you you still want a donut, don't you? you
1: st- well, it does. not It's actually any circle is fine. Any
0: circle. Are you hungry? Is that why you said donut? <laughs>
1: I just feel like they're the quintessential circle.
0: Couldn't agree more. Okay, so you got a donut with a fan in it, right?
1: Yes, but instead of the fan being attached in the center, it's kind of like the fan is inset in the donut slightly, so the dough of the donut sort of holds it in place. Yeah, The fan fins come in from the outside, so the middle is a hole. And then inside the donut, there are magnets that, Cause it to spin.
0: And you got to see this close up.
1: I did. I did.
0: Apart from the military applications. Hang on. So, we, okay. So we've got a torso being sent very deep under the ocean, surrounded by donuts with fans and magnets.
1: You make it sound less cool than it was in person.
0: Rad, you made it sound less cool <laughs> than it was in person. Uh, what I'd like to know is how big was this thing? Cause you're describing the proportions and stuff, but how, mm. isn't it funny that so much of this, podcast could be solved if you just posted a short video of the drone. No,
1: but that's not the magic of imagination paul you're
0: exactly right you're exactly right so how big how big was this nightmare creature
1: i believe it's under seven kilos and i'm gonna say it's roughly the size of like a rolled up sleeping bag
0: is there a rolled up sleeping bag just out of shot that i haven't seen yet <laughs>
1: No, but it's on my mind constantly.
0: Yeah, well, we might need to bug out at any point. No, I actually quite like that. Okay, so I'm I know how big it is, like a small trash receptacle sort of shape. Did it do anything that was particularly mechanically impressive, or was it more just to? like a light demonstration.
1: I'm sorry Paul, did I not already mention the very fancy fans? <laughs> I the... was I was very excited by them. They also have like low inertia so that they're able to stop and spin the other way okay. quite quickly. Right. Because they're so light. Any Okay, I was impressed by the fans, but if that doesn't do it for you, the whole idea behind this uh, little device Is that it can take very high resolution uh, images of like the sea floor or things under the water. So it has a lot of implications for research, for example, being able to Mm -hmm. um, track populations of starfish, was one of the examples they gave, or looking at uh, hulls of ships and doing kind Mm -hmm. of like a health check of them or wind turbines, anything kind of under the water. These things can stay under the water for about a year.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. That's actually amazing.
1: And they have docks that they can land themselves in and wirelessly charge. Cute. That's Very cute. cute. Yeah. So they're being used by scientists and uh, manufacturers, and it reduces the cost and the labor of a lot of these kind of manual searching type jobs. Mm. By using AI, classic, you train it on... AI to find the thing that you want to find. But, Paul, I think you'll love this. The cameras are also good enough that they can make those... Uh, what are they called? Is it photo me The 3D scans that they make of stuff using photos?
0: Could you theoretically use these to, like, make movies or do kind of fun, goofy stuff? Or is it specifically for kind of high-tech? I have no problem with a research vessel, but... In a world where we're sending billionaires down in an Xbox-powered sort of metal coffin down (laughs) into the... Right. It seems like eventually the applications will get a little bit kind of sillier, right?
1: I reckon so. So at the moment, you know, I think they are still quite expensive to make. It is still very specialized. They make the entire thing in Australia. Everything in it is proprietary, which is also really exciting. It's cool to learn more about what Australia is doing in that space. And because of that, I think that's why it's still sitting in that more, you know, research, big company space. But I think as it gets cheaper and smaller, it's got to go the same way as drones, right? Like, people are going to want to use this for filmmaking.
0: Yeah, although there's a specific type... Look, I got no problem with drones. I think drones are cute, but there's a specific type of... The same kind of guy that back in, like, the 60s and 70s, would, would you'd see him on the beach with a metal detector. You know, there's that dude who... Sits there with his like, fingerless gloves and his polo shirt. And he goes to the park because he needs to get away from the kids. And he's, you know, upper middle class and he can afford a really good drone. And going and flying a drone is the thing he does. So I'm wondering what the underwater equivalent is of the Saturday afternoon drone dad. Like, is there a... <laughs> you know what I I mean? think
1: this is going to be very, very big amongst the Titanic community. Ah, yes. There it is.
0: Yeah, but when they break down, you'll just have the Titanic. Because a-, a lot of people died there already. It'll be very confusing when they go down and map it and there's thousands of just torsos and donuts just littering <laughs> the wreck of the ship. They, they've they've been through enough. I'm very curious because you sent me another photo which strongly implied that when you left this sort of soiree... First of all, were there drinks? Was it catered?
1: Uh, yeah, there was juice and coffee.
0: Did it get brought to you on little drones or manually?
1: Meta- humans. That's
0: less interesting. Okay.
1: God's drone. <laughs> <We're->
0: <laughs> yes, and we too can... Fasten donuts to ourselves. They don't spin that way, though. So when you left, you got a bit of a gift bag, right?
1: Yeah, they gave me a mini toy drone.
0: And have you flown a drone before?
1: I haven't. And I also haven't flown this drone yet.
0: When do we get the maiden voyage?
1: I guess I could fly it. You don't sound excited. No, I'm not. Why would I be?
0: Well, okay. There (laughs) There was a time... Oh, by the way, drones are obviously a complicated thing because you've got the drones that are like, wee drones, and then you have the ones that drop bombs on villages, right? So the drone yep. as a thing is complicated. In fact, I was told that when George Clooney said yes to all the Nespresso ads, he was sort of attacked because people said, the, you know, those little pods, right? Those coffee mm-hmm. pods. The coffee pods leave a lot of basically unbiodegradable material. And he said, look, I understand this is bad, but the reason I said yes to this ad campaign is to fund this thing and it's an app basically for villages in a, in the outlying areas of countries like Afghanistan. So it's an early warning system for when drone strikes are coming. Wow! So it's like, on the one hand, yes, they're polluting, and I'm trying to stop them doing that. But on the other hand, I'm also trying to stop people dying. So and, and as a result, I think people backed off on the criticism. Also, it's George Clooney. He's kind of Teflon. But isn't that interesting?
1: That is really interesting, and it's cool that he... I mean, look, he probably has money elsewhere that he could fund the project anyway. I'm not <laughs> yeah. sure that you can like fully equate the two. Yeah. But did you also know that pod coffee is actually one of the least environmentally impactful ways of consuming coffee because it uses the least amount of coffee in order to make one drink and the amount of water required to grow coffee is the greater environmental impact.
0: But they still have to grow the coffee to put in the pod, right?
1: Yeah, they do. But it's something like six grams of coffee per pod on average, Mm -hmm. and when you make a filter coffee, for example, I think it's something like 15 grams.
0: Okay. I don't know why Clooney didn't wheel that out, but that's genuinely interesting. Okay. Okay, hang on a sec. Are you going to fly your drone around and do silly things with it, or are you just going to leave it in the box?
1: I think I have to try flying it at least once, Uh, but it is just a toy. There's no fancy cameras attached to it, at least as far as I know. Uh, But still, a cool little keepsake from a company that is literally One of four in the world that makes digital fiber optic gyroscopes. This is a company that's doing really cool stuff in the AI and robotics space in Australia. And yeah, getting to wander around their factory was a lot of fun.
0: Now, Rad, in other news that is in no way related to drones, when I was younger... I was, as with everybody else in my demographic, I was very into Rick and Morty because it was, it was smart and it was weird and I was just enjoying, you know, I enjoyed the storytelling devices and I enjoyed the world building and I frankly enjoyed the two leads. who so it was sort of a weird spin on Doc Brown and Marty from Back to the Future.
1: I don't think you need to defend liking Rick and Morty when it first came out. I know that the culture around it has changed significantly since those early days, but you're right. Yeah. When it first came out, it was quite groundbreaking uh, it was wacky it was just fun it felt very clever and it brought a lot of cool ideas to the table and also those kind of earlier days i feel like it wasn't <laughs> i may get some hate for this it wasn't quite so far up its own ass
0: 100 percent. it's very very easy when you are considered a bit of an auteur with a really distinct voice and a fan base to sort of buy into your own bullshit a little bit you know and start mm. to listen to the feedback and i think it was happening around the time that there was that source thing. There was like a specific source from McDonald's that they referenced. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And then
0: basically the fans pretty much en masse. And it seems that, you know, sometimes that things you like are liked by, just coincidentally, people that you really don't want to be around. I think there was a weird demographic of fans who sort of began to weaponize the show a bit and drive it into the ground. And part of the show's identity was Justin Roiland, who was the, uh, he was the co-creator alongside Dan Harmon, and he voiced... Rick and Morty, and interestingly, he got involved in a bit of a uh, a bit of a scandal a while back. He was accused of some stuff. He was, I think, the charges were dropped, but it still was it was it was a very intense time for the show because people were already sort of turning against the show pop culturally anyway, as evidenced by my weird knee jerk defensive so been liking it back in the day. So recently, it was announced that they've actually recast Rick and Morty. And there was an interesting dispatch from the writer's room. I think this was a leaked Reddit thread a while back where there was actual concern saying, look, if Justin Roiland's gone, then the voice of the show is gone. Not just the voice you hear, but the, the written voice, the heart of the show and a bunch of the writers, many of whom are women who were brought on to sort of counteract the weird toxicity because Dan Harmon was also slightly icky back in the day. And he's walked that back as well, quite well. A bunch of the writers were saying, yeah, Justin didn't do any work. Like he just didn't, he didn't show up. He didn't participate. And his his input was so minimal that with him gone, we can actually get more work done. So what you're going to get is a more pure experience. And they just dropped the trailer. And the reason people were excited about this is it was going to be the first time where you got to hear the new voice actors in the wild. And you can be a bit pernickety. You could technically listen for faults. But if you weren't looking for problems, it would sound, I would argue, Exactly the same Or near enough is good enough I wanted to ask you if you had any thoughts as to Because recasting happens all the time In the second Christopher Nolan Batman They recast Katie Holmes as Maggie Gyllenhaal And that was a, that was a hard pivot It was such a hard pivot That I recently watched the two films back to back And forgot that it was the same character I mean, it was so, <laughs> <laughs> that's, I'm not trying to disparage Katie Holmes' acting skills But when you're brought on board to sound and act Exactly like the previous person There is such an intense, bizarre pressure, and I'm curious as to how you feel about about the recast in general.
1: Look, I think that Rick and Morty is quite an interesting one because you're right, like, if you look at Batman, they're playing the same character, but they're not trying to play the same person. They're not trying to play, you know... Maggie Gyllenhaal didn't walk in being like, I'm going to be Katie Holmes. No. no. This wasn't a parent trap situation. But this Rick and Morty situation is a bit more parent trap, right? You already have the exact same visual, you're just replacing a voice, and that creates a lot more pressure to Mm. do it in an exact manner. I'm fine with recasting. I don't know if I feel like trying to hide from the recast is a good way to go. Like, I almost think that, yeah, doing it as something that is intentionally different can be a really good thing. However, I will say, the recast of Dumbledore in the Harry Potter series, I didn't notice.
0: Wow. Because <laughs> it's not just a different look, Rad. It's like a different... He's a different character. Like He's, <laughs> he's
1: just an old man. He's
0: so different... <laughs> So hang on, do you just, yeah, do you have trouble kind of discerning, do you have facial blindness when it comes to old white men in robes or, Um, like, what was going on there?
1: I'm not the best at recognising faces and stuff to begin with. Like, to me, he is just a smear of old man, long beard, (laughs) like, possibly purpley blue gown.
0: Yeah, you got the colours right, but what I'm curious about is, so Richard Harris, who played the first iteration of Dumbledore, (laughs) I thought was a very wishy-washy, weak-ass take on the character. So when Gambon came out, I forgot Richard Harris's performance. And Gambon literally blew that out of my head. I understand part of what you're saying. I don't think that's going to happen with these new performers. But what I will say is, unlike Michael Gambon, presumably, knowing what I'm knowing about casting... I'm pretty sure that they got people who basically got on social media and made viral videos where they were doing impressions. There was one dude, I forget his name, who literally got on the camera and just went, hey, uh, this is my audition for Rick and Morty. And he did the voices and then he synced them up with videos and then they went really, really viral. Now they haven't dropped as of this record, they haven't dropped the names of the performers yet, but I would love it. I would love it if some little Rando Calrissian who just had a TikTok account and liked doing voices Has just stepped into his dream job And by all accounts The feedback's positive But that is not how Gambon Got (laughs) the wrath of Dumbledore He did not get on socials And do his best Old white man in a dress Because that's, you know, that's a very specific skill set.
1: I think that uh, using social media to put your auditions out in the world and go for your dream job is the way that social media should be used. I think that it's such an easy way for, like, young green talent to get a foot up. And there are super talented people out there. And I don't agree with the whole culture of, like, oh, they need an agent uh, to get them the correct audition to do the thing. Like, get the person who's going to be right. And if that person is some weirdo on TikTok, get him in here. Whatever. Let's give him a bell.
0: But we basically met on social media and we conversed on social media. And I think it's...
1: That is not true, Paul. We met in person before we ever met on social media. I was just... I was a lowly (laughs) uh, production coordinator. I was no one to him.
0: It's actually not that. So Rad was working on Good Game uh, Live uh, and I was a panelist. And let's be honest you think that's embarrassing what was more embarrassing was me being mistaken for goose and signing posters as in (laughs) without even realizing that's what was happening but no we look social media was how we conversed and i think it's fair to say that we've gotten a few gigs out of just directly approaching the person on online and just going hey i want this job or i'd be good for this and you know what if that bags you the the voice role of a lifetime then Good luck to you. I think it's great.
1: I'm going to pivot this conversation slightly. Sure. Um, I want to bring up the fact that X is moving to a paid model or is threatening to move to a paid model for all (sighs) users. Yeah. Look, Twitter used to be my social media of choice. I've been on that platform for way longer than I'd like to admit. It used to be the first thing that I opened every morning, the uh, last thing I looked at every night. And it was the place that a lot of these kind of professional connections were made, particularly like Australian games industry. What are your thoughts, Paul, on this uh, decision to monetize the platform? And how do you think that's going to affect things like this job market that we're talking about?
0: I'm actually quite scared because... You could actually see every time something was threatening to happen to Twitter or X or whatever, every time it was about to collapse, you would get the same kind of rallying cry from all those creatives that we love, basically saying, hey, I'll be on Blue Sky, I'll be on Threads, here's my new account, and or Mastodon, and they'd post a little thing. And we all went, yeah, but you're not. I mean, you'll try, but there is something so weirdly unique Twitter is not a social media account. It is a very big tree with all our names carved in it. We're all part of this living organism. And I am genuinely scared because of my, the way my brain works, that there will be people who I consider friends who I will forget they exist. If I don't have their, (laughs) you know, you 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 have those people. No,
1: I I get what you mean. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's so sad that we have this sort of amazing Rolodex of crazy talented people that we've all plugged into. And, I was asking myself the other day, I was like, how much would I be willing to pay just to keep my finger in that book, just to keep it open? And then I saw some of the pricing and I went, look, it's probably not worth it. What I should probably do is just DM the people I care about and give them my number, right?
1: I actually haven't seen the pricing. What is it?
0: I saw like five ninety nine USD being bandied around as a cost for a monthly okay. subscription. But that seems like a lot. I mean, that's a streaming service, right? And there is a There was a streaming of something coming out of Twitter, but it's not content anymore. I mean, it's. (laughs) I just used to love Twitter so much. I used to love it so much. And so much of my career's ups and downs and my friendships and my... It's all there. And now it's just a toilet. I mean, I'm sad.
1: I feel like Elon killed the platform long before he tried to implement this payment system which is right. terrible business model and there's been a lot of speculation as well people saying that that was his plan all along to kill the platform because of the way that it's used in um activism and the way that it's used in social movements etc it's essentially yeah. a way to silence that connection and that voice i don't i'm not saying i necessarily agree with that it's speculation T- take uh, what you will of it But it is very interesting that from a business perspective he kind of put the pillow over the face and held it down really, really taut uh, for a couple of months there before saying, and now pay me for the pleasure.
0: Yeah, and part of the sad thing about Elon Musk,
1: there's many sad
0: things about Elon Musk, the (laughs) fact that he basically invented trains again. I mean, the guy's... (laughs)
1: Remember when he reinvented buses?
0: Reinvented what?
1: Oh, actually, no, he didn't reinvent buses. Sorry, sorry. Just Silicon Valley reinvented buses.
0: What are you saying?
1: It They were like, we're going to make a new Uber, but instead of it coming directly door to door, it'll have a route and come at a particular time. <laughs> That's right. And you can just get on and then get off near where it's convenient for you.
0: That's right. I mean- That's a bus, baby. <laughs> it's a bus, dude. I think what really upset me about Elon Musk was that my father-in-law is a very big space fan. I mean, he's got merch from the Apollo landing. I mean, this guy, he gets up with his telescope. He lives in rural Victoria and he loves stargazing and he loves the Parks telescope, and he just likes space. Kevo is a country guy who loves space and he dreams of space. And so when Elon Musk started doing what Elon Musk did for a while, he went, oh, this cool new young whippersnapper who likes space. And then the rockets went up. And then as the news started to filter down, it was like his heart got ripped out every time there was a story about Elon Musk. And so I think what I'm mad about is all the Kevos of the world who felt like space was back on the menu. I don't know. How can you ruin space?
1: Space is for all of us. (laughs) I'll admit it, Paul. I'm not the biggest space nerd. I don't find it as interesting as a lot of people seem to. But I do feel for Kevo. I think he deserved better in this world.
0: Well, Kev, if you listening? Which you're absolutely not. We're <laughs> sorry.
1: That was game for anything. Thanks for coming along for the ride. We'll see you next time. Ah,
0: oh, fuck! I fucked it. Hang on. Let me go again. <laughs>